glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1 for context sake and go, say and go on down through verse 14. We're really emphasizing verses 3 through 14. Paul's writing to the Philippians. The theme of the Philippian book is joy. If you study the book of Philippians, the theme throughout is joy. And so that might help put some of this in context as we read it this morning. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. By the way, he's not talking about the dog that lives in your neighbor's yard. He's talking about people who act like dogs. That is a metaphor used there. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And notice the next phrase, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to give you four things this morning that might help us understand the text and what the Apostle Paul is saying. Again, I challenge and encourage you to read the entire book of Philippians. Read around this. If you hear this message this morning and there remains some kind of question in your mind, is that a proper application of the text? Is that some verses pulled out of context? Read your Bible with an open heart and mind. Be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Search the Scriptures daily, whether the things are so that you're hearing. Amen? Amen. I think one of the greatest detriments spiritually to our land today is folks who hear preaching but don't study their Bibles. Be a student of your Bible. Know your Bible. If you know the truth, you'll not get duped by error. Amen? You should know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And so I'm going to just break this down into four parts for understanding. Verses 4 through 6 is where we'll start. Let me try to put that into context. Paul has warned these people to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. What is he talking about? Beware of dogs has to do with the, if I understand correctly, those who lived 
the Gentile idolatrous life, fornicating and immorality in the name of their religion. In their idolatrous practices, they live like dogs. The Gentiles were often called dogs. The religious crowd who cover their unclean living with their religious, uh, their religious rites and so forth, that would be your dogs. Evil workers, people who are going about working to seduce other people, get them to believe lies and, and partake in their, uh, their wickedness. And then of the concision would be the Judaism that was creeping back into Bible Christianity. You can find that in Acts 15. Those that were saying, well, yes, it's about faith in Jesus Christ, but you also have to be circumcised and keep the dietary laws to be saved. That was determined, though, that it's by the grace of God we're saved, that the law was there to point us and bring us to Christ, Galatians 3 will tell us, and that, yes, we are called unto righteousness, but not rights, not religious rights. And so then our righteousness is by faith in a person, not in a program. It's not about a performance. It's not about a program. It's not about uh, repeating a certain number of words. Salvation is by faith in a living person. Plus nothing, minus nothing, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. So Paul has warned them of people who want to pull them and detract them from the faith of Jesus Christ and the life that God has saved them unto. And so he says, beware of these groups of people who are going to influence you through immorality, through false religion, uh, and, and through their endeavor to get you pulled away from the truth of the gospel. And so he says, verse 3, for we are the circumcision. He's adding to this They want you to physically be circumcised according to the law of Moses, but we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit. What is supposed to be your physical form during worship, by the way? I mean, you have to be on gray padded chairs in a heated building with electricity. No, you've got to be sitting with your hands folded. You have to be prostrate on your face. I mean, there are ways we can outwardly demonstrate a worshipful heart But may I say this morning, worship of God is not through form. We talk about praise and worship, and immediately people think music. Music is one way we can worship God. But I will say this again, if you're singing the songs, but we don't mean what we're singing, we're not worshiping. If we don't sincerely mean to God be the glory when we sing to God be the glory, we're not worshiping. Worship is not this. Worship is not even this. Unless that is an indication of the heart. Yes? God seeketh such to worship Him. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit, meaning from the heart. It has to be sincere and in truth. You can't put on an outward form. That was stated in John chapter 4 in the context, do we worship God in Jerusalem or do we worship God in Samaria? And Jesus says, you only know what you worship. I'm paraphrasing. But salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is going to come through the Jewish people. But it's not about where you worship. It's about who and how you worship. You must worship God the Father, the creator of all all things, and you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. Worship is not about keeping a series of codes or or going through forms and, and rituals. Worship is a matter of a heart toward God. And he said, we are they who worship God. We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. And then what's he say? And rejoice in who? Christ Jesus. We don't rejoice in our worship. We don't rejoice in our form. We rejoice in a person. We rejoice in Christ Jesus, meaning we have joy not because of who we are. We don't rejoice because of what we've done. We rejoice because of who He is and what He's done. Ah, amen? Amen. 
That'll preach right there for a long time. We worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. By the way, someone says, well, I worship God in spirit, but I don't rejoice in Christ Jesus. I don't mean to be smart like, but nah. If you worship God, you rejoice in Christ Jesus. Anything outside of that is not worship because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so then... Uh, we, were, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And notice this third thing that he says. And have no confidence in the flesh. I mean, we have absolutely no confidence in our natural selves. None. I don't have confidence in my, my fleshly reasoning, my fleshly ability. Let me ask you something. What if worship was this? Now, I believe in being faithful to church. You know that. It's good for a Christian to be in church faithfully so they can be strong in the Lord. But what if worship was this? You have to be in church five out of seven days a week. And the moment you can't get your body in a building five out of seven days, you can no longer be saved. A lot of people in trouble today, aren't there? The restorium is full of people that can't worship God then. Huh? Do you realize that's how we got... Forgive me, I want to hit just a quick rabbit trail. How many realize that's how we got sprinkling as a mode of baptism? There were people, it was first called clinical baptism. There were people in hospitals that was believed that if you couldn't get your body underwater, you couldn't have your sins omitted and remitted. So we got to get somebody underwater. But what about the people in the hospital? They can't worship God. So they would take cups of water and they would pour on them or sprinkle them. And that's where sprinkling, the Roman Catholic Church came up with that. That's where it came from because they believed that worshiping God was an act of the flesh. You and I can demonstrate in our flesh worship for God, but we have no confidence in the flesh. You know why? Because the flesh is rotten. It's going to die and corrupt someday. The flesh is dead because of sin. We realize that. It's just a house for God to dwell in and use for a time if we're saved. Paul said, we are those, the circumcision, are not those who've had a physical performance on their lives, but it's not a fleshly deed. It's a matter of the heart. And the Old Testament bears that out. The physical circumcision that Abraham took part of and his children took part of, Paul would point out in Romans 4, Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. I mean, you know that. Yeah, because he believed in God and believed God's promises before that. So it was simply a symbol and a token. Let me just illustrate this morning, if I might. I'm no longer married, right? Of course I'm married. Now, I wear my ring because I want people to know I'm married. I'm not ashamed of my wife. I'm glad to have my wife. So I wear that. But you know, putting a ring on my finger is not what made me married. It's just a token of my marriage. That's what circumcision was. A token of faith in God. It's what water baptism is. It's a the like figure, Peter calls it. It's a figure, a symbol, a picture of salvation. If water baptism is necessary to wash sins away, some people can't get saved. I know a man today, to my knowledge, he's put his trust in Christ. He is not physically able to get baptized. What's he to do? Worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. And so then we'll come back to verse 3 in a few minutes. But Paul says, the circumcision, what they were saying is, we got all of our religious ducks in a row. Therefore, we are the circumcision. We've, our children have been circumcised and we, we honor these things. And the, and the circumcision was figurative term. It didn't just mean circumcision itself. It was figurative of those who are still endeavoring to keep the rites and rituals required in the law of Moses. In compl- not not separate from Jesus Christ, but in addition to Jesus Christ. You understand there were those who said, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, but he came uh, to remind us to keep the law, basically. And so what you do is you trust Jesus, sure, but you must also keep these things in the law. Well, I got news for you. Then nobody's saved. 
And so my point would be this. Paul says that they want to glory in the flesh. So we have no confidence in the flesh. Then he's going to go on and say this. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. He said if we want to have confidence in who we naturally are in our flesh, I could raise my hand and get ahead of all of them in the class. This brings us to our first point in our message. Paul had an advantage on others when it came to the flesh. Let me pray to you this morning. If I, if I introduced you to somebody, I said, I want to introduce you to so-and-so, John Smith. And John Smith is uh, born into a, a pastor's home, been raised under the Bible. Uh, he has been raised in, uh, in Christian education. Uh, he has personally read his Bible through. He's only 25 years old, but John Smith has read his Bible to, through 25 times by the age of 25. He's been raised in Sunday school and church. He knows the gospel. Uh, he has been through seminary and has a master's degree in theology. Not only is his father a preacher, but his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And you can go five generations back and you'll find five generations of devout Christians. And if you dug, you could probably go further back than that. This is not only so. In 25 years, he has not missed a day of church. Not morning church, not night church, not revival meetings, not nothing. He is fervently a giver to missions. Uh, he is a person who is deeply invested in the things of God. And if I said to you, is that person a Christian, what would you tell me? Looks like it, doesn't it? And before Paul got saved, that's who he was in his religious economy. Paul had a number of things to his advantage. Paul had a good pedigree. Listen to what Paul says. If you're going to glory in the flesh, have confidence in the flesh, if that's what was going to make you righteous, I've got it covered. Let's read it. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof, he, uh, whereof hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Meaning if you bring me anybody that thinks in a fleshly, natural sense, meaning who they are in this life, in this earth, in this body, and that makes them righteous in this life, I've got an advantage on them. He says, I'm more. Verse 5, he says, circumcise the eighth day. So we're going to deal with the literal subject of circumcision. I was circumcised according to the law on the eighth day, just like Moses commands it. He says, of the stock of Israel. That's his pedigree. He's all dealing with his pedigree, who he, who he was when he was born. The eighth day has nothing to do with Paul didn't make a decision. That was his parents' decision. But he said, there are some days, so I think my kids are okay. I had them christened when they were born. I brought them up in the church. You with me? Pedigree, pedigree. Now, pedigree doesn't save you. But Paul said, if it did, I'd be saved. I'd have righteousness by my, by my flesh. So the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. A Pharisee was someone who was extremely educated. If you said, Paul, uh, what does the, the, the 20th chapter of Leviticus deal with? I assume he could tell you. There weren't chapter divisions then. But he could tell you verse by verse. He could articulate to you those feasts laid out in the book of Leviticus and all that they, they deal with and what was required and how many bullocks and the book of Numbers. He knew the law. He's a Pharisee. So he had a tremendous knowledge of Scripture. You with me thus far? Here is a man who is born into the right family. He is born into an extremely religious family. Uh, he is a Pharisee. So once he had the choices to make, he chose a religious education. He would have what was be the equivalent of today, a master of theology. He was, uh, he was uh, uh, well on his way to his religious prosperity. And so he says, it's touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church. That which comes along and basically says all my religion is in vain. 
man, I'm, I'm snuffing them out, okay? Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Meaning if you examine Paul's life and said, you're breaking the law there, you don't keep the Sabbath, he would say, mm-mm. I not only keep the weekly Sabbath, I keep the high Sabbaths, I keep the feast Sabbaths. I mean, when you looked at Paul and compared him to the law, you really couldn't find a discrepancy between his life and what God required of him. Sacrifices, concerning the law, blameless. Now, if you want to deal with the spirit of the law, I mean, you know, Paul at heart was a murderer. Well, he was. He, he, he arrested and threw in jail people who were completely innocent of any crime because they made him look like he was unrighteous. Here's what Paul says. If you want to talk about fleshly advantage, who a person is in this life, I can beat anybody's credentials. I've got it covered. When it comes to the law, I dotted my I's, I crossed my T's. Why would a man who is a Pharisee of the law, who is so, meaning, he, zeal means he was sincere. Some people say, well, God knows people's heart, and if they're sincere, that's all that counts. No, hardly. Paul was very sincere. He said, I've got the pedigree. I'm going to give you a number of words that go along together. He had the right position. He's a Pharisee. He had passion or sincerity and fervor in what he was doing. And he had the practice to back it up to concerning the law, blameless. He said, I was everything you would want to see somebody be from a religious standpoint. Here's what amazes me. If God were going to pick someone and say, I'm going to use this person to demonstrate how powerful my grace is. So let's say you or I were to fill the role of God, and you were to say, I'm going to pick someone off the street and save them, but I'm not going to save them. I'm going to put them in such a position and preserve the record of their life so others can see how gracious I am. I would go pick a drunk in the gutter, wouldn't you? I would go find somebody whose life is at rock bottom, someone who's an atheist. That's what I would do. I would pick an atheist and say, I'm going to save an atheist and I'll show you how gracious I am. God says, no, I'm going to pick a religious man. Paul said that he was a demonstration of the grace of God. You can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, that God saved him that he might make known his grace, how long-suffering and patient, meaning God says, I'm going to demonstrate how utterly able I am to save a man. Now, for those of you sitting here this morning that have tried to convince other people of their need for a Savior, who is the hardest person in the world to win to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? It's not the drunk in the gutter. It's not the drug addict in jail. It's not the harlot in the red light district. It's the religious lost because he has confidence in himself. I've been raised in church. I've been baptized. I know my Bible. I live a good moral life. You will not find me cheating people. You will not find me doing people wrong. You'll find I've got good work ethic. You can have all of that, the right pedigree, the right position in life. You can have a seminary degree and die and be without God and perish. That's what the Bible says. Paul said, I had the advantages. I had pedigree. I had a religious position. I had passion, and I had practice and performance to back it up. And he said, but I counted all of that, but lost. Meaning he said, I took all that and said, that means nothing to me. It will do nothing for me. Let me put it to you this way. Pedigree only does something for you as you compare yourself to another person. Passion only does something for you as you compare yourself to another person. 
The moment we start comparing ourselves to God, we come up short. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the measuring stick is not the, the worst people in culture. The measuring stick, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, that God will judge us by Jesus Christ, meaning our measuring stick of righteousness is Jesus Christ himself. If you're as righteous as Jesus Christ, you're righteous. Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, ye shall not enter into the kingdom. Meaning, they are the most righteous people among men, but you've got to have be more righteous than that to go to heaven. That's what Paul came to understand. In the eyes of men, I'm righteous, but I'm not righteous enough for God. I'm righteous enough for men, but not for God. Paul's advantage. Number two, we see Paul's accounting. He lists all his advantages, his pedigree, his position, his passion, his practical performance. All those things are listed verses 4 through 6. But verse 7, he says this, go down through verse 9, he gives an accounting. Paul said, I made an account. I was forced to make an account. Under the preaching of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Paul heard that the Jewish nation, as a nation, had done the same thing to every leader God had raised up. They'd rejected him. They rejected, uh, uh, they rejected Moses when he was raised up. They persecuted Joseph when God raised up Joseph. I mean, every leader God raised up, the nation responded the same way with rebellion and disobedience. God gave them a king at their own wish, and they rebelled against that. And Stephen gives a good account. He said, and then God sent all of these prophets to you, and then God sent his son Jesus, and you crucified him. You know, what God was saying is, I gave you all the advantages as a nation. Not only did Paul represent that as an individual, but as a nation, the nation of Israel was given all the advantages. A, a land of promise, a perfect law, the power of God, and that was not enough to make them righteous. You with me? They had all the advantages. So the point is, man in his natural state cannot be righteous. God has to intervene. And God did intervene in Paul's life. Verse 7, the Bible says, Paul says, but what things were gained to me, all the advantages I had... Those I counted loss for Christ. You know what Paul came to understand? I've either got to have confidence in my advantages or I've got to have confidence in Christ, but I cannot have confidence in both. He said, I counted my gain but loss for Christ. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by, help me with the next word, faith. You know what Paul said? He said, I had confidence. I had pedigree. I had pharisaical position. I had zeal, passion. I had performance. And he said, but I realized under the gospel of Jesus Christ that all of that really was not an advantage. It wasn't enough to make me righteous. And to put my faith in Christ, I had to cease putting my faith in all those things. I had to count them but dung. I had to throw them out with last week's garbage and say they mean nothing. And friend, when Christ confronts us, this is why it's easier for a child to get saved than an adult. As a little child, when I got saved, I had no religion to throw away. I didn't. I had a lot of sin I know it's accountable for. But I didn't have tradition to throw away. I didn't have any. I didn't have all kinds of philosophy. 
All I had at my, in front of me was Bible that said I was a sinner and that when I died I was going to face a judgment and that God doesn't let sinners into heaven. They have to be pardoned and forgiven and washed clean and that Jesus lived and would do that for me if I'd trust Him. Isn't that simple? It is for a child because there's nothing really when you have to say, I can't make myself righteous, but I didn't have a life of religion to throw away. And I'm grateful. I mean, I say for a lot of people, it's like Nicodemus. It's hard to get saved, not because the gospel's hard to understand. But you realize if only faith in Christ will save you, then all the things you've been trusting in are worthless. All the facade, let me ask some. How many people have been under false religion and have meticulously dotted their I's and crossed their T's hoping to be spared hell? To be told all of that effort means nothing to God. That means nothing. All your works mean nothing to God. All of our righteousnesses are as... That's a hard pill to swallow. You meaning I've got to throw away 50 years of religious activity? You meaning I've got to throw away five generations of religious history? I remember one time a dear lady came to my dad's church in Tennessee. She heard the gospel. She'd been raised Catholic. And she heard that Christ had to save her, that her religion couldn't. And at first, she became along with that. When it came time to validating her, her, and I don't know if she ever made an open profession, but she had said she'd believed and trusted Christ. And came time to obey the Lord in baptism and demonstrate her newfound faith in Christ alone. She said, I cannot do it, and I will not. Because if I get baptized, I'm acknowledging that everything my family has taught all these generations and believed is a lie and that everything I believed was not true and I cannot do that. The last time she ever came to church, I never saw her again. You see, there's consequence. I remember witnessing to two men in the jail at the same time, both the same religion. And they said, well, can we not? Our families are both this religion for generations. Can we not hold this and believe what you're preaching? I said, you tell me. Is what you've been taught consistent with what I'm telling you? And they both simultaneously said, no, no. I said, it's either or. You've either got to hold to your religious activity, the flesh, or trust Christ. And to trust Christ is to throw that away. Friend, that's the truth of it. You know what Paul said? He was so confident that Christ could do what he promised. He said, I'm willing to count all that be lost just to know him. I'm willing to count all that be lost and say that he is worth more than all of that. Jesus Christ and Him possessing me and Him saving me is worth more than my pedigree. It's worth. And by the way, Paul lost his pedigree. You know what happens to, to, to devout Jews who disown their faith and come to faith in Christ? Same thing that happens to devout Muslims who disown their faith in, in, in Allah. They get disowned by their pedigree. Paul threw away his... You know what? He never said, you know what, listen to me because I'm a Pharisee. That was done. Can you imagine? Can you imagine investing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in your education to say, I'm not going to use it. It's worthless. And throw it away? You'd have to have something you felt was more valuable, wouldn't you? And that's Paul's accounting. He said, you know what? I had all these things, but none of those can compare to Jesus Christ. He said, I had all these assets, these advantages in my life, but I was willing to make an exchange. I ceased to have confidence in who I was in the flesh and put my confidence in Jesus Christ and who He is in the flesh. You see, who I am in the flesh is a sinner. You know why my body's going to die and decay in the ground someday? Because this body has sinned. You know why Jesus' body is not decaying in the grave today? Because He never sinned. You tell me who you'd rather trust, you or Him. (laughs) 
can't trust my mind for 15 minutes straight. I can trust his for eternity. Paul said, I made an accounting. I had my advantages, but compared to Jesus Christ, they're worthless. And so he made an accounting. In verse 9 he said, and be found in him. Verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. When he's In verses 8 and 9, he's dealing with being made righteous or justification in the sight of God. But he's going to transition. May I say, faith in Jesus Christ, having confidence in Him alone, it not only brings you salvation, it, it, it brings a new life to you. That's a new life. Paul said, I know that I'm made righteous by my faith in Him. That's the righteousness of God, faith in Jesus Christ. But then he's going to deal with the assurance he had because of that. Verse 3, we go back and realize he did not have assurance in himself or of himself, but he had assurance because of Christ. Verse 3 again, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 9, To be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know what, man's righteousness, if I said to you, are you righteous, what would your answer be? I think you'd have to say it depends on whose perspective you're looking at it from. From God's perspective, absolutely, I'm righteous, I'm in Christ. But if you told me you're a righteous person, and I was a prosecuting attorney, what, what might we do? If I said to you, Dawson, are you righteous? Say yes to me just for the example's sake, okay. You are, you're righteous? Are you completely righteous? Are you? You've never told a lie. Never? Not one? Well, he doesn't know what to say now. You never disobeyed your parents, right? No. Never, never took anything that belonged to you? No. Never said an unkind word? Every time he does this, you know he's lying, right? <laughs> See, our righteousness is, is marred. Everyone's. Everybody in this room. Fleshly righteousness. Somebody says, I believe I'm righteous. I've, I've tried to be a good person. You know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're quoting your advantages. You need to give up those advantages and say, I'm righteous because of Jesus Christ. I've put my trust in him. He's righteous. And God says when I trust him, he imputes. That's the Bible word. He gives the righteousness of Christ to me and takes my sin upon himself. And you know what that removes? Who gets to brag then? Are you righteous? Yes. Why? You think you're good? No. I know he's good. Where is boasting, Paul says? It is excluded. No one who's truly righteous can boast. Can't. Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one will say, well, I'm righteous because I've been in church all my life. I'm righteous because I read my Bible every day. Those are right things to do, but they don't make you righteous. Because if you're righteous for reading your Bible, then you're ungodly and wicked for not. And if you're righteous for going to church, then you're unrighteous for not. And if you're righteous because you told the truth to that neighbor last week, you're on your way to hell because you told a lie to that one two months ago. If we're going to be just, God is just. So Paul says, I could not trust in my advantages. They were all fleshly. They're all carnal, and I have no confidence in the flesh, but I do have confidence in Jesus Christ. 
couple more verses. Uh, Galatians 2.20 and Galatians 6.14. By the way, this is the motivation from which Paul served God. Confidence, not in himself and who he was, but confidence in who Jesus Christ is and still is today. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 said, I, that's talking about Paul the Pharisee, Paul the circumcised the eighth day, Paul of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul who had zeal and persecuted the church, Paul who is blameless according to the law, I am crucified with Christ. What he acknowledged was Jesus' death on the cross was for my sins. Therefore, all the advantages I have did not make me good enough. Christ still had to die for me because I'm a sinner. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why would someone who's a Pharisee and all those things he had going for him need anybody to die for him? Because he was a sinner. Because Paul had hatred in his heart. Because Paul had he had the sin of Satan in his heart, like you and I. Pride. Pride is an abomination to God. And Paul knew that Christ died for him. Galatians 6, 14, he says this about glorying. Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory... Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. He's talking about Paul had a whole world that died when he came to faith in Christ. His religious world died. His future world died. Why? Faith in Jesus Christ. But he said, but that didn't just die. I got life. How many of us recognize the name Paul today because of the life he lived? Really, Christ lived life through Paul. Paul said, I could live my life for my glory, but I'm a sinner and condemned. If I want to be righteous, it's going to come through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I will not glory saving the cross of Jesus Christ, meaning I will not glory in anything that I've done for him. I will only glory in what he's done for me. Ah, Now, friend, that's righteousness today. When we glory not in who we are and what we've done for him and what we're doing for him and what we're doing for others, but what he's done for us. And by the way, You want something to motivate you to serve you with every fiber of your being? Just get a hold of what he did for you on the cross. Pray God. Can I give you a prayer request? If you you say, I don't think I appreciate what Christ did for me. I, I believe it. Then pray God every day to help you truly understand by faith what he did for you when he died on that cross. I don't think we even have scratched the the surface of the depth of God's love demonstrated for us when Jesus Christ died for us. I believe that with all my heart, what I just said to you. I don't believe we've even scratched the surface of the depth of God's love, the height of His love, the breadth of His love, in what He did. He did not have to do it. He could have stayed in heaven and let us rot in our sin. But He said, no, I'll come down and I'll rot because of their sin. I'll die because of their sin. I'll be judged because of their sin. So they don't have to be. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I cannot imagine dying for someone who treated me like we've treated God. I can't even imagine crossing the street for him, let alone dying for them. But he did. Nothing will motivate you to serve God like the assurance that he did it all for you. That all you have to do is put your trust in him. See, is that that simple? Maybe not as simple as it sounds, because trusting him means you can't be trusting something else. If I say, you know what, I need someone to lead me 
um, up to the Canuck Basin. Can, can anybody do that? Some of you could do that, can you? Okay. Who, can, who cannot lead me to Canuck, Canuck Basin safely and get me home? Okay. Who could lead me there? Anybody? Okay. Ben can. You, some of you work for the Forest Service. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. I've been there. Let's say I say, well, I want Jim to take me and Ben to take me. And I trust them both to get me there safely. Jim, can you get me there? Which way are we going to go? <laughs> now I can trust Jim. <laughs> you see, if Jim says, well, we're just going to play it by ear. He's in the dark. He's in the light. One of them's been there knows I can be there. They're over here. They get me there. They've been there. They know where we're going. You see, only God knows how to get you out of your sin and into righteousness. And you can trust yourself and you can trust religion, but you're going to stay in the dark. And you cannot trust both at the same time. You either trust Christ or you trust self, but not both. Amen? The flesh and the spirit are contrary. The spirit of God, through the word of God, says, trust Jesus Christ. Your flesh says, no, I think I can do it. You can't trust both. And what circumcision was saying is, well, you can. You can trust Christ and trust yourself. No, no, no. Paul said, I died to all my old life that I might have life in Jesus Christ. And thereby, he experienced the power of the resurrection. But you realize this assurance of righteousness, it not only ended him having assurance of salvation, this assurance of righteousness, this, this belief, this accounting that Jesus Christ, I have confidence in him, not in me, led to assurance of righteousness, but it also developed the ambition that I've been preaching about this whole message. What motivated Paul? Where does ambition come from? Now we get into verse 10. He says in verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We're talking about being righteous. Then he says in verse 10, That I may know him. That I may know him. Not only know that I have righteousness, but that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, I believe he's alive, and I want to experience the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable Unto his death. Jesus' death means something to us. He died in our place, meaning when we believe on his death, we have to die to something. We are in Christ Jesus, and his death means death to confidence in self, death to my own prideful ways, death to trusting self and life and trusting him. And Paul said, I, I want a perception of Jesus Christ, and so I have... I have counted but dung all the things I trusted before and trusting him alone that I might be righteous, but also that I may know him. Paul said, I want fellowship with him because he's alive. I can actually experience communion with him by dying to confidence in me and having confidence in him. I'll have a perception of Jesus Christ. And he had talked about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, in verse 8. He says, I, there's an ex, I, I don't care. I don't want to know me. I don't want to know the life. I don't want to experience the life that I have or the righteousness I can provide. I want to know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He said, I want a perception of Christ. I want to be in partnership with Christ. He says, that that's what the word fellowship means, that I, have, I join in by confidence in him. It costs Paul something. What it cost him did not earn him righteousness. No, he said, my confidence in the righteousness of Christ and my faith in him alone, I now understand what it means to suffer for righteousness' sake. 
it's right to believe on Christ and believing on Him has cost me my pedigree and it's cost me my position and it's cost me my future and it's cost me friends and it cost me health and it's cost me wealth and I've lost all kinds of things just that I might have confidence in Him. But you know what? Now I can kind of understand what He went through. I have a fellowship with Christ that I could not have had until I came to faith in Him. May I say this this morning, unless you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you may know about Him, but you don't know Him. It's faith in Him that allows you to know Him, to experience the reality that He's living today. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I mean, I'm trying to perform and make myself righteous. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know what his burden he puts on us is? Trust me. He says, take my yoke. You come and just trust me. I'll bear the burden, but we're going to labor together. Let me ask you like this. Do we labor, 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 labor until we finally go to heaven and we can rest? Or do we rest in assurance of salvation and labor from that rest? I know that Christ has made me righteous. I'm trusting in Him. And because I know He has made me righteous, I can labor with Him in service. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. We're almost done. Let me read this. 2 Corinthians 5. I hope the Spirit of God can bring all of this together in your mind and make some sense of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says this in verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all that they which live, meaning those who've come to faith in what he's done for them, now they live, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Many lives are lived defending who we are when in fact we need to live confident in who he is. Paul said, my ambition is to know Christ, to have the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable to his death. I want to have a partnership with Christ. I want to perform what Christ saved me to perform, meaning I'm not performing to be righteous. I'm performing because I know I've been made righteous. Look in verse 12. He said, Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, I believe what he means is that he'll explain it in the verses following, attain that which is possible because of the resurrection of the dead. He's explaining that. He said, not as though I'd already attained. I'm not telling you I'm already in some sinlessly perfect state as though I'm raised from the dead. Not as though I'd already attained. Either we're already perfect. He said, I'm not all that I'm going to be yet. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in a glorified body. He said, but I follow after. I believe in the resurrection. I know I'm going to have that. Therefore, that's what motivates me if that I may apprehend for that for which I uh, also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Meaning, Christ saved me and has a purpose for my life while I live here. And that's what I want. He's the one that made me righteous. And I want to apprehend what He has for me because I know one day I will be raised from the dead and meet Him. You can read 1 Corinthians 15. That's exactly what's meant here. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended Again, he's making it clear. I'm not in that perfect sinless state. I'm not in my glorified body, that resurrected state. But this one thing I do, 
Forgetting those things which are behind, my past life, my past religion, my past pursuit, all that's behind me, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Because of the resurrection of Christ, I'll raise and stand before my Savior someday. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm living for the day when I stand before my Savior, the one who died for me. I want to live for him so that when I meet him, I'm not ashamed. 1 John chapter 2, verses 27 28. Friend, this is the Christian life right here. If you're this morning and say, boy, I just don't have any joy, then you go back and read Philippians 3 and read it and read it and pray God soak that thing into your heart because joy comes from saying, I am not righteous by who I am. I'm righteous by who He is. I am not, I'm not living to impress men. I'm living for the day when I know I'm going to be resurrected and meet my Savior. Exactly what He's preaching. I'm going to, you want set free from the shackle hold of this world? I got to get this and I got to have these things to make these people happy and make myself look good. Be done with that. Live for this. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and I want to happily meet the one who died for my sins and lives for me. Oh, you live that way, friend. That's freedom. I'm not living for what the Joneses think of me or the Smiths think of me or what I think of me. I'm living for what he thinks of me because he's the only one that matters. He's the one that died for me. He's the one that saved me. And I'm living, I'm pressing toward that mark the day when I step into eternity. Answer yourself honestly this morning. Is that what you're living toward today? Am I living for, you know what? I want to make the next decision in mind to this. One day I'm going to meet my Savior. And I know He's the one that makes me righteous and I owe everything to Him. And I just want to live for the day that I meet Him in person. That's what Paul said, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you hear in Paul any question of whether or not he was going to stand before Christ? He knew where he was going, didn't he? He knew. He didn't wonder, I hope I make it. I'm performing. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. He said, no, he is the only one. And he did it all. He died for me. And therefore, I'm going to live for him. This morning, am I living for him? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, boy, I could be a Paul. (laughs) I've defended who I am in the flesh. I have presented to God who I am instead of trusting who Christ is. In Matthew 7, the Bible says, There will be many that say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. they got his title right. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name done, cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. How could you know the Lord's name and be cast out? What were they boasting in? Who he was or who they were? Have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? No, the song in the book of Revelation is worthy as the lamb that was slain. Not worthy as this group or that group. Worthy as he. You may be here this morning and your confidence is not in Christ but in self. Can I encourage you today to be done with that? Count it all but lost. Put your faith in him. Only he is worthy of that. Count all that you've been putting your trust in. Just be done with it. It's called repentance. I'm going to quit trusting anything other than what God said to trust. And God's called me to trust Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning you say, I know everything I'm hearing is true about Christ. But I'm afraid that I am not living with a confidence in the resurrection that one day I am going to meet him. And I'm not pressing toward the mark. What's your objective today? The happiness and pleasure of Christ or something else? Today, because he died for us, let us live for him. Mm-hmm.